Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to week 1492 in quarantine. (laughs) Have we adjusted our lives yet? Is this how we live? Does my cat think I just live with him now? (laughs) No. Uh, I'm finding it as it gets lighter and the days get longer, it's getting harder. Yeah. Sleeping is an issue. Oh. Sleeping is an issue, guys. (laughs) And this is hard. But it's okay. It's not okay. (laughs) Are you not sleeping at all? Or is it hit or miss? Um, It's hit or miss. Mm. It depends. I felt very restless yesterday. Mm -hmm. Slash today. And which is why this episode is brought to you from my bed. <laughs> it's very perfect and indica- indicative of the times. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. Um, good job. Anyway, oh, yeah. if you are having a good day, good job. Clean out a drawer, bake something, do a craft, send some emails. If you are having a shitty day, lay in your bed and watch The Crown because that is also totally okay and totally appropriate. Mm -hmm. Take it day by day. Yeah. Moment by moment. (sighs) Yep. And this week we have Patricia Allison back with us. Yes. Patricia is the bomb. Amazing. Um, Like we said, this is our new format of podcasting. So we have these kind of like 30 minute um, catch up segments before our interview. Patricia mm-hmm. was interviewed in season one. Yes. But she is a very dear friend of ours, and it's always so lovely to chat with her. It is. Here we go. I totally understand the not feeling creative. Because mm-hmm. when we made this, when we did the quarantine and dance fest thing, when Rainey's like, we should do this. This is a great idea. Um, it was, I instinctively had that reaction too, where I was like, I don't know if I want to make anything. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, oh, then I want to make something. And I did end up making something, but it was very like I put on a camera and I improved and then I edited it together in like what I thought was interesting. You know, it was like mm-hmm. very minimal mm-hmm. effort type stuff. Yeah. And I mean, like just to repeat um, a little bit of what I said before I started recording, um, I was just talking about how like in this moment, I my heart sort of isn't in creating anything new because I'm in uh, survival mode. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm also seeing like, I'm also like feeling a little bit of that pressure to be creating, uh, cause now we have all this time. It's like, well, you're not out doing your Joe job. You're not out like running your hustle. So you should just be like cozy up at home. But I'm honestly finding like the day to day of like getting groceries and figuring out how to like wear your mask and put your gloves on. Like, not that those things are hard, but they're like, there's a certain amount of, uh, like foreignness to that and a coordination to that, that isn't second nature or at least wasn't second nature when we started it. Um, mm-hmm. so I still like, I feel like I'm trying to find the pandemic groove of things before I feel, um, like getting back to creativity. Cause I was like supposed to be launching into, um, the next phase of creation on this new solo work that I'm working on. Like I was supposed to be going into residency for it. And part of me is like, well, I should still be working on that project. And then the other part of me is like, oh man, I can't like, it's just such heavy material. And I just don't, 
feel the heaviness, uh, right. uh, channeling the heaviness in that way. Yet. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> yeah. I'm really dancing at all. Like I'm fine working out in my own home, but it is, it's, it does feel more like creative energy that I'm finding lack in. Um, like how people are just doing classes in their house every day, like dance classes. I'm like, mm-hmm. good for you. I like can't even get the motivation to do that. And I don't know if it's like a space thing. Like, I don't know. I see so many people that have just like adapted their living space to be open and to like have their space all the time, like available to like film or like do a class or teach. And I don't know if it's just because like I don't have that really like option because I like live with <laughs> like me and Lucas and like Dan. Yeah, I can feel like I'm like putting them out to like move our entire living room around, um, like and just <laughs> keep it there. But I I'm finding like watching people do all these classes is great. But I'm also like I don't know I mm-hmm, I'm totally not feeling personally like that's something I want to do right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm also feeling like you know how we talk about the pressure of social media to like pump stuff out. (laughs) And I felt like I just come to terms with it's okay not to work at that pace. And then this happened and everybody's going live every single day, (laughs) you know, for different reasons though. It's like they were going live for a certain reason last week. And now it's a different reason this week. Um, but I do think that like, also it's cool. Like the way I'm seeing it, and this is just like my self-talk is that I'm like sort of in like a little mode of hibernation a little bit. Mm. And I'm also like bracing myself for like the, I keep saying like the Renaissance and the boom of energy that's going to happen once we're out of this, like on the other side of it. So sort of just like respecting the pace that I'm sitting in now in anticipation of like that flurry that's going to happen on the other side. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I keep hearing from other people that have, been a little bit or that are a little bit older and that have lived through other recessions or like other big drops in the economy that it's it's gonna come again and mm-hmm. that the work coming out of the end of this will be insane mm-hmm. yeah so, yeah i hope yeah there's like a really beautiful specifically talking about like dance and choreography but there's like a very beautiful article by um one of the new york times dance critics i think her name is like Gia. i'm like i'm gonna miss last name but it's like so gorgeous and it talks about how we're like choreographing within social distancing Mm. and she talks about kind of like what happened obviously because she's from the states about kind of like the last big event that like really like took so many of these lives was like 9-11 in new york Mm -hmm. and how after 9-11 all of like everyone's work kind of stopped and there's like was a mass production of solo work Mm. and like all of the solo work had to do with like people looking up and like a falling so there is going to be like these like themes and work that come across that are going to be super interesting and super like relevant that it's going to kind of create like a new era of like um of like artwork in a sense and kind of like a genre in its own sense Mm -hmm. yeah totally and i think like um a little bit that I touched upon in that article that I wrote for the dance current, uh, looking at this through the lens of like disability arts mm-hmm. and accommodations within the arts, uh, for artists that are, that identify as disabled. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we're doing right now is like a hundred percent accommodation. And we're like figuring out new ways and new systems of working. And what I sort of like, the thesis of that dance current piece that I wrote is that like, I hope we can take all of this innovation and all of this like 
thinking outside the box and like doing things differently and, and like being flexible and open to new ways of doing things. I hope that we can sort of like keep that moving forward. So I hope that that's one of the things that when we all come out of this, we all just like are a little bit better at accommodating disabled artists within processes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause like, we've just had like a masterclass on how to do it. We've all been forced to learn how to do it. Totally. It, whether it be like Instagram live or <laughs> mm-hmm. and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I wonder, because the last time we talked to you on the podcast, Patricia, mm-hmm. um, it was like a year after your almost exactly to your MS diagnosis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And now like two years from that point, Mm -hmm. if working over the last two years, has it really like helped you be able to work in this moment? Well, I mean, especially coming off of my master's and I'm sure that Rainey can sort of connect with this, uh, working from home and working in uh, like your own sort of like self-motivated way is exactly what it takes to do your master's. Mm -hmm. So like the thought of like sitting down at home and trying to grind through something, uh, and create like a workspace within your home is a hundred percent what I was doing before this. Uh, so in that sense, I think like the past two years have set me up for that. And then I also think that MS has sort of like slowed my life down in a lot of ways. And I tend to work from home as like an accommodation for myself. So like even going to the library, like packing up all my books and going to the library or going to a coffee shop, even like that requires a certain amount of energy that I've learned, um, like for myself in my body with MS is not the most economical way to use my energy. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if I packed up all my books to get to the coffee shop, I'd get to the coffee shop and I'd be like exhausted and then like no work would happen. And I would just like pack up my books and come home. So I like, even from that perspective, I found that like learning to economize my energy by just setting up at home and skipping that travel and just working from home, uh, was like a huge, makes a huge difference for me. Um, so like in that sense, I feel like I was fully ready. I'm fully ready for this moment, um, <laughs> except for the looming depression surrounding the global pandemic. But the thing that I found funny about this moment is that I've taken, so now it's been three years since I was diagnosed with MS or like, it'll be three years on uh, in April, end of April. And, uh, the funny thing is, is that I was about to go into creation and research on getting myself back on stage. So I feel like as a choreographer and as a teacher, I've like figured out, I've spent the past three years, like figuring out how to do that. So I fully know how to teach and choreograph and be in rehearsal and do that as a choreographer. And then like a year ago, I had the realization where I was like, okay, but how, like, I haven't performed professionally, like as a dancer or actor or anything since I was diagnosed with MS. So how do I get my physical feet back on a stage in front of a physical audience? And then the pandemic happened (laughs) and it took away every theater space and every possible audience. Um, So now I have had to like stick a pin in that question. Um, 
<laughs> to be determined once this pandemic is over. God. <laughs> of course, right? <sighs> yeah, of course. <laughs> My like coming out adventure was squashed by a global pandemic. <laughs> it's also, I mean, I had like a bit of a, a cry fest last night just because I came to this like realization that like everything that has that everybody had lined up for this year. So whether that's like you got accepted to a festival or you uh, got accepted to like a dance makers thing or like a co-works or whatever it is, mm-hmm. or you got a funding grant, like all of those things are going to be postponed until next year. Yeah. So like if you didn't have anything that was going on in the, in the present that's going to be postponed till next year, the chances of you like getting access to all of these other opportunities now is going to be like very limited because everything's just rolling over from the previous year so like as artists if you didn't book fringe or if you like didn't get a contract um this year with like a company or something you know you didn't get whatever it is it's you're also like the chances of it not happening next year are also quite high because everyone's just rolling over from this year so it's like yeah a hundred percent you're like gonna be like kind of like a year behind it feels like like you're just gonna be like if you anything that you had now is like going to be next year so it's if you you feel a little bit like you're a year behind in a sense because like I do anyway not mm-hmm. you specifically or you whoever's listening but like I specifically I think that I'm gonna like feel very kind of stagnant because I'm gonna have the same contract that I was preparing for in in March that I'm going to have now 12 months <laughs> yeah and like i i don't want to be pessimistic yeah but like i think it's gonna take us a good like three four years to catch up yeah like i feel like the next year is going to be the obviously the most obvious but i think the repercussions of this are going to like trickle into like the next three four years mm-hmm. and it's only going to be like five years from now that we're like oh yeah now i feel like i'm back on track and fully caught up and wrapped up all those projects i was working on and now i'm thinking about like new things and fresh starts and mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's, it's like kind of a very strange thing i think that i didn't like i hadn't I mean, maybe because i was distracted come to that like realization um until the other day but mm-hmm. it was it was kind of like a, a big kind of hit in the face like a brick wall when i when i thought about it yeah so i mean if it helps at all we're all in this together totally <laughs> yeah right <laughs> my like logical brain thinks that that helps and yeah. it's like yeah that's a real thing the world isn't out to get you corinne the world didn't just cancel all of your things yeah remember and then i i'm still sad sometimes <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think it's okay. I also like, yeah, I also, I've been doing a lot of, like, this is just going to get more depressing from here. Um, and I, and I want to, let's, let's promise to like end this all on a positive note. Um, but honestly, the thing that I think about the most are all of the artists that sort of sit in that, like, I want to say lower income bracket. And like, I know that that's all of us. I know that all of us work for peanuts, but I'm thinking of the people and the artists that whose work we're going to lose because they're not going to be able to make it through this because they're going to have to make a career change. Mm -hmm. So I think of that like lower income bracket, especially of students coming out of their, like if they're graduating from training programs and 
they're unable to make it through this time aside from getting a job, like, like a career, aside from a career change. Mm -hmm. They're coming out of school with so much school debt that they're like drowning in it, even with all of the CERB money coming in and um, like government six month delays on loans and whatever, that they're still not going to be able to make it. And there are going to be artists that we are going to lose in this community or the, the work of theirs that we're going to lose in this community uh, because just economically, they're not going to be able to make it through this time. And that to me is like one of the largest tragedies of um, this moment especially in young artists. Mm. Like I know it's hard for all of us, but like, I think that that to me is like the thought that I keep coming back to, like what art are we losing? Because there are people that economically can't make it through this time. Yeah. And I mean, the people that are going to, they're going to kind of that first year after university, I think, or after your training program is really the year where you like, you realize that you have to self-motivate. Yeah, exactly. Right? To like, it's not being handed to you. I'm kind of just touching on exactly what you just said, Patricia, but um, mm -hmm. like you're, you understand that like, it's not just handed to you. You don't just like show up at an audition and then you automatically get cast in a piece because it's like, you're in the program. It's, it, it's, you have to like work for it as an artist. And I think those first like year to two years is like really depicting. And that's why you lose a lot of artists as soon as they come out of training programs and like, mm -hmm. You there are like I'm unmotivated as someone who's like been emerging slash is emerged mm -hmm. for the past few years, like let <laughs> alone emerged. someone who's just <laughs> I have emerged, <laughs> let alone someone who is like trying now to like navigate how to like mo self motivate themselves. Well, the lack of motivation is like succumbing all of us. Yeah, right. And just like all of the funding bodies are going to be overwhelmed, mm -hmm. and all of the resources that we usually rely on that are pretty good. Mm -hmm. are just going to be completely overwhelmed and not be there for those people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like part of me wonders, like, it's like, how can we identify, find and support? Like whether it's like, cool, let's write that grant, even though you're probably not going to get this funding because none of us are going to get this funding because all of a sudden the like systems overloaded, but like how, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how, and I don't have an answer, but like, how do we try and catch these folks? and uh help to usher them through this time when uh, not not saying that any of us know how to do it but like you know maybe maybe our years of trying have something to offer <laughs> in terms of helping these young voices mm -hmm. i don't know that's uh hard well but i mean there hopefully something comes up or or someone is able to brainstorm something i don't know off the top of my head i can't think mm -hmm. of anything <laughs> yeah. My brain just keeps going to the place that like yes, government funding is great and yes, grants are great, but we also need to figure out other streams of funding our art. Mhm. Mm because government money runs out and I think it misses a large chunk of the arts population. Yeah. Like a huge amount, yeah. 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 And so like where can we like find people that want to support the arts that aren't necessarily in the arts or like, it's a really good time for, if you're a philanthropist, philanthropist. Thank you, Rainy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that you took, you know? like, an honest three tries at it before you just came <laughs> up and you were like, Rainy, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Rainy will know. Someone yeah. will help me out here. <laughs> we, I mean, in Prince Arts, we kind of just had this discussion um, in a different meeting earlier yeah. today. So I, I knew exactly where this sentence was going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. But then I also think of the fact that like, also what my hope for this pandemic is that we break capitalism because we're noticing that capitalism is not a sustainable system and capitalism itself leaves like impoverished communities uh, to suffer. So like in part of breaking capitalism, I don't know if the future of theater exists by creating a more capitalist model. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, we need like the wealthy individuals to personally be funding theaters. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. It is. It's always been like an issue with me that they don't keep that in like institutions of ours. They don't like teach you how to like go out and like be like invest, like find investors or like yeah. how to like pitch someone your idea without being a crazy person, um, <laughs> showing them your phone at a party drunk. Um, but yeah. it, it is interesting to me that like everything I feel like in our institution specifically, like where me and Corinne went, it was like so much like, well, you just apply for grant funding. Yeah. yeah, that's just what you do. And I and I think that that isn't just what you do. That's that's a wonderful solution. And we're very lucky to live in Canada in a country that offers those kind of resources. Mm-hmm. But also we need to start. That's not just our heavy rely on. It's not just like I want to do a project. So I apply for a grant. I didn't get it. So I don't do the project. Mm-hmm. It's I want to do a project. I have an opportunity to apply for a grant. What are the other ways that I can maybe make this project go? Am I like able to skim in some ways? Or are there other opportunities for me to apply for that aren't necessarily government funded? Is there like private funding? Mm-hmm. Is there someone that I can approach that I know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then putting together those kind of presentations to, to make those investors um, successful. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's just like diversifying, right? Yeah. How can you diversify yeah. your art? In a, I mean, maybe not your art, but like diversify um the funding platforms that you reach out to or fundraising so that if one falls through, you're not left in the fucking gutter. Mm-hmm. Like we're all feeling kind of left. I feel like me personally, I'm feeling kind of left right now, like left behind, mm. you know, just like, and that because of lack of grants or be just because of general uh, lack of funding. Just, uh, just, I would say general lack of funding and just like, in this current moment in time, I'm feeling very like disconnected, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah, I don't know. I had a big, also had a big cry like three nights ago about in the middle of the night, just like feeling so disconnected from my friends and my family mm-hmm. and like from my practice and my regu- my in quotes, regular life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So how can you diversify to like not be left behind or not feel like left behind? Yeah. There's something so like ironic about about it too. Like we're being asked to stay at home with our like TVs and you know everything. And I'm sure like at one point this year, all of us just went, "Oh, I just want to lay at home and watch TV. That's all I want to do. I just want to lay and and get caught up and eat fucking. That's all. I just ask for one for two days, just a week to sleep. And now we're kind of all. Yeah, we've been offering. We'll be like, but we didn't want it like that. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's this like weird thing where the world was just like, oh, you asked for it like enough, so we just thought that we would give it to you. And you're just like, <laughs> you're like, no, thank you, take it back. But then, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah but then I hope because um, there's also like a small part of me, and ter- yeah, in terms of having this time, where I'm like, how do we bottle 
like a little bit of this for later. And I think the only solution that I've come to is like self permission. So like right now I give myself the permission to lay on the couch and play video games for eight hours a day. Like not every day, but like, sure, I'll wake up and I'll be like, today's a video game day. And all I do is play eight (laughs) hours. Yes. But like, all I did was give myself permission to do that. So is there part of this that I can like, do that moving forward to like, as Corinne sort of says, like, take that pressure off of productivity Mm -hmm. and just embrace a little bit of that slothness. Yeah. Yeah. I think that allowing yourself, like, like you said, giving yourself permission and and allowing yourself to feel sad maybe for an hour or allowing yourself just to like lay there is okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, so, like, it's just weird. No, sorry. Keep going. I was just going to say easier said than done. Cause like ask me four months from now when this pandemic's over, if I ever give myself permission and the answer will be no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Very. I feel like that's, it's going to be hard to like not it, to revert into old habits, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I hope that we can find um, a way together maybe to, to help motivate ourselves more and, and also give each other permission when we're feeling sad to be sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just had one question about you going into your solo work, Patricia. Yeah, of course. Um, had you like figured out a way to get yourself back on stage or was the residency about finding that? So the residency was about finding that. Um, Mm. so I was going into residency, uh, with why not theater and I had received a little bit of funding. I don't know if you know the recommender grants through, uh, Ontario Arts Council. Yeah. So I had gotten a little bit of money from, uh, uh, tangled art and disability and a little bit of money from volcano theater. And essentially what I had sort of like pitched, like what my proposal was to all these places was, um, that I want to <laughs> figure out a way to create a performance scenario that's as variable as my disease is. So like find a way to create a performance with high artistic rigor that didn't necessarily uh, involved me having to show up every night. Hmm. Cause that's the thing with MS is sometimes you're just like your energy level fluctuates so much. Yeah. Uh, so everyone was super excited about me asking those questions, knowing that I have no answer for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and I still do not have an answer <laughs> for it. Uh, and I think it could probably look like a variety of different things. So like, if one day, cause some days I like am fully, I mean, it's like my new baseline, but I'm like fully physical able and physically able and I can move through space and I can dance and it looks pretty full out. But then the next day my legs are just like in what I call like my cement blocks and I would have to do the entire performance from a chair. And maybe that's a thing that just happens. And the performance sort of just exists on a smaller scale Uh, But I really didn't know. I was sort of going into studio to ask all these questions and to sort of learn a little bit more about what my limits are. Because I say, I don't think I can make it through like a six hour dance rehearsal. But honestly, I don't know if I can. Like, I don't know if I've tried. Uh, 
in the past, like three years with this new body. So part of it is like, a lot of it is to just try and learn more about myself. Um, and then the other part of it is, is to try and break that system that we create within and try and find an alternative producing model to accommodate a body that may or may not show up on a given night. Right. Cause you also have to look at that monetarily and monetarily that makes no sense. <laughs> how do you, how do you sell tickets to that? Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Um, I think that is a good place to end. Great. Um, if people want to see more of your work or of you, Patricia, where can they go? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at LNFN Productions or LNFN Prods. I should know my own Instagram <laughs> handles. I mean, look, super quickly. Uh, yeah, LNFN Productions, which is last name, first name productions. Or you can find my website, which is patriciaallison.ca. Lovely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Patricia. I mean, thank you for having me again. I um, miss you both terribly. I miss you too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We'll see you on the other side of this. Yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's definitely. Great. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you like what you heard, please feel free to send us an email, Facebook message it. Um, Instagram, um, hit us up on, you know, Radio Public, Spotify, iTunes, basically any place that you can find podcast is great. And we are attaching the episode that we recorded with Patricia two, almost two years ago, um, right after this. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're live. We're live. Welcome, everyone. How's everybody doing today? On this beautiful rainy day. Beautiful rainy yeah. day. Great. Nothing better. Yeah. <laughs> it is a nice up though. Okay. Not bad. I'm not yeah. complaining. We're super excited to have you. Yay. Yay. We're here with Patricia and Nicole, and we're going to talk about health today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Specific. Big topic. Yeah. We're going to get a little more specific than a general conversation, which we're super excited about. Just general health. Just general. Fruits and veggies. <laughs> <laughs> also a very broad topic (laughs) fine um we'd like to start with like an origin story so whoever wants to go first I feel like I want to craft this story like it's a superhero story that's like x-men origins right now I feel like my origin story is far more boring than that uh do you want to go first or do you care Nicole I mean you're already going so yeah I'm already already talking don't stop now Um, I think my journey started in Ottawa, Ontario. Um, that's where I was kind of like raised for most of my life. I went to the arts high school there, which like saved my life in a lot of ways. I don't think I would have survived at a regular high school. I needed kind of like to be surrounded by weirdos. And then I moved to Montreal right after graduation and went to Ladme, um, which is not called Ladme anymore. Um, yeah, called? they like renamed it to like they called the Danse Contemporaine de Montréal, which is people that are so not sexy. Dancers. Do you want <laughs> yeah. to say what that is, real quick? Well, it's sort of I always ca- describe it as like the French TDT, so it's like a conservatory-based program, contemporary for modern people training. emerging into professional dance. Career. Yeah, it's like a professional program to prepare you, yeah, to be a great little dancer. And then I kind of like graduated from there. 
um, and was like living and working in Montreal. I kind of like, I think I got to a point where I had auditioned for everybody. In um, Montreal? Like literally there wasn't like a choreographer that was working that I had an audition for at the time. And I always did like super well and I would like make it through like rounds and cuts of auditions. And then what it like the feedback I always got was like, we think you're really great. You're just not my style. Like you're just not mm. the style for my work. And I was like, oh, cool, cool. Um, cool but then cool, you, cool, cool. Like, <laughs> you get to a point where you're like, so like, am what I anybody's hearing? Yeah. Yeah, that I'm just like not comfortable here. Um, so then I just like got to a point and I had so many friends and collaborators in Toronto that were always trying to like get me out here for projects, just like small, like indie theater stuff. And I was like, well, I might as well go where like people want me. Mm-hmm. Um, so then in like 2010, I made the move to Toronto and I like haven't regretted it. It's been awesome living here. Amazing. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm up at York University finishing my first year of my MFA. Um, if this strike ever ends. Yeah. What about you, yeah. Paul? Um, well, I mean, taking it way back, that's like I started small town. Alberta, well, actually, like Alberta slash Saskatchewan, because it's right on the border. Um, rep in Lloydminster. And uh, <laughs> no, so I started there, and I it was just like a thing that I did. And then I was really fortunate when I was about, when I was 18, I guess, we had a guy from New York named Peter Sklar, who uh, runs a, a workshop down there for um, actors, singers, and dancers. And it was a an audition interview invite to this workshop. And so I went there for two weeks, and his whole thing was, you know, a lot of you have probably heard that, that you can't make a career out of this. Um, but I'm here to tell you that you can. And it didn't, like, really hit me that hard. I was like, cool, that's awesome for someone else. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then I went to university for linguistics. And, cool. um, yeah, I went to the U of A for two years. And um, super interesting, but, like, English syntax makes me want to stick forks in my eyes. And so... I just decided that I should maybe take a break. Um, and then I was like, well, I don't really, what else am I going to do? Um, I, that, that was it, university, that was the plan, and that's not a thing. So I fell back on dance, and that was still a thing. And I just remembered that, you know, Peter, all that he taught me and all that I learned there, and um, him just saying, just take a shot. And so... I did, and my teacher that I had growing up was always super supportive of that as well. Um, I started, I was taking class at the University um, University of Alberta Orcas' dance program, or dance group, sorry, and they have, it's like a recreational thing, but they have professionals in the community come and teach the classes, so through that I was introduced to the Good Women Dance Collective, which is a... Yeah, Kate yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all really great human beings. Um, yeah, and so th- I trained with them, um, and I also met a choreographer, Anastasia Maywood, and I was in a piece of hers, and then I started dancing with a Graham, Martha Graham-based contemporary company, Kathleen Hughes Dance Association, and everyone just sort of started saying, like, you need to move to Toronto. Like, you need to get out of here and go train and like and then come back, but we won't want you, but, like, go somewhere else. So I just sort of made the decision to come out here, and it's been great. I've learned so much more out here and been saturated in a lot of different areas of training than I would have had access to 
a lot of different pockets of what it means to be a contemporary dance artist. Because um, at West, it's just like all Limon technique. Yeah. Which yeah. <laughs> is like all, great. Love Limon. But it's just, yeah, there's no diversity. And so, yeah, here I am. Yay. <laughs> Not in university anymore. <laughs> and how long ago was that? Uh, I left university in 2014. And I moved here two years ago. You moved just before me or just after? Just me? after you. Okay. Yeah. And I was here in 2015, of October 2015. Okay. We met at a Cage of Dance, uh, Portview Dances. Yeah. Oh, like cool. shortly after I moved here. Because we have like a similar contact, Oriana mm-hmm. from Surge. We like knew each other and she was there with Oriana and I was like, oh, who like lives here now? Yeah. Yeah. Who, like also moved here now. Yeah, just... Can I also, I feel like before we started recording... I was like poking fun at you guys for um, past episodes. Uh, one thing I forgot to bring up <laughs> was no. in a past episode, you also called Toronto the East Coast. Yes. Casually, I, I don't even remember who it was, but one of you was, was like, me. why'd you move to the East Coast? And I was like, she didn't, she moved to Toronto. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also that funny thing how, like, people in Toronto don't realize that there's, like, land west of Mississauga. <laughs> like, Winnipeg and Calgary are the same thing. <laughs> that was probably me when talking about, like, my origin story. Origin story, like, why Toronto? Because I was dancing in uh, North Carolina one summer. I was like, I just have to stay on this side. Yeah. Of the continent. Yeah. So I like came out east. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. East Coast. What would you east. consider the East Coast then? Just like PEI? Like everything from New Brunswick over. Oh, like things on okay. a coast line. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that makes sense. I mean, I don't know why we didn't think of that. <laughs> and also now I'm feeling like very outnumbered of like Western Canada. I'm totally with you on the East Coast thing though. Yes. So that does make it's sense. You're right. Totally yeah. good. <laughs> um, Sorry, speaking of that, though, mm-hmm. do you think you'll ever go back? To school? No, to... To, to out west. Yeah, out west. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I've asked myself that question a lot. Mm-hmm. Because, like, my my heart and soul belongs out there. Like, it, I just like living out there for... I just... I like the atmosphere and the landscape. I feel like I'm alive there. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, like, the social and political views of a lot of the population of that is Alberta particularly um, yes. are just not things that I align with. And so I, I, I don't know, like, that's just my answer is I don't know because <laughs> of so many things. There's a lot of really great things. All my family's out there. Um, and I really connect with that community, but yeah, there's just a lot of things. I'm like, I don't know if I fit in there anymore. Yeah. I feel like I'd be calling people out on a lot of bullshit a lot of the time. <laughs> I would have no friends. That's exactly how I feel, to be honest. That's, I miss my family all the time and I like my parents' farm and I miss like that kind of rural aspect, but I do not miss anybody else. As terrible as that sounds. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I, know that, I know that I would get in fights all the time and I would be angry all the yeah. time. Yeah, like I think like my core group of friends would be cool, but yeah, like just people on the street or like in bars and coffee shops. It's like I just be like approaching random people all the time. Like, do you want to watch your tone? Yeah. You'd be like <laughs> the grumpy old man of that area. Just like getting into all the time. <laughs> At 25 years old, you'd just be like, you know, back in Toronto. Yeah. Which... 
everyone from outside of Toronto loves hearing. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Do you refer to anything Toronto-based? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the reason me and Corinne were really interested in having you two on. And together. We're, and together. were Because in the past year, two years, I would say, you've both gone through some crazy health situations. So do you guys want to talk about briefly what it is exactly and what yeah. your journey was with that? Yeah. Um, so I guess about a year ago, well, a year and a half ago is when it happened. Um, I had a lot of pain in my left toe. Very specific area. <laughs> my left, Which toe? My, my left <laughs> great toe. Yeah. Um, to use the term my anatomy textbook uses, the great toe. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't walk. Like I, I'm a server as well. That's my Joe job. And, um, yeah, like just walking was becoming, it wasn't excruciating, but it was like nearing that threshold. Mm. And so I went to a doctor and I mean, long story short, I got misdiagnosed and got told that like, it was my shoes because, uh, women's fashion is not designed for people with wide feet that's and, real and so like that's why my toe hurt and I was like and this is just happening now like when I'm, tw- when I'm 23 like I've just suddenly got massive feet and <laughs> this is a problem so anyway I ended up getting diagnosed finally by an amazing specialist um her name is Dr. Julia Hamilton and she diagnosed me with tenosynovitis which is essentially uh, the best that I'm not a doctor, but the way that I understand it is that your tendon exists in a sheath and there is a bunch of like fluid in that sheath that allows the tendon to move. Um, if the tendon becomes overstretched, it doesn't really bend anymore and then it creates a lot of friction within that sheath and then the fluid turns to more like mud instead of water. So that creates more friction So it's sort of like my tendon was just immobile in my foot that was trying to be very mobile. Right. Um, Yeah. So that was super fun. Um, And yeah, I just, I went to physio and stuff, but I had to take a bunch of time off dance, Um, which sucked because dance actually didn't really hurt it. I think like just the way that it, like the way that you move through your foot was really therapeutic, Um, which I found out when I did uh, a workshop, the metamorphosis workshop, uh, last summer I was like wow like this should be hurting and it doesn't um but it's just because I have a Joe job and I have to work it and that requires a lot of mundane walking so to get orthotics um yeah I I went through everything I went through massage therapy electrode therapy um ultrasound therapy because I was going to impulse dance that summer and uh so I literally just stopped dancing and I was like I am only doing metamorphosis workshop and impulse dance and any other time I am not moving as much as possible and this is healing and it just sort of kept flaring up you know I went to impulse dance that was great I came back my physiotherapist who's also super great he was just like yeah like it looks good come back if there's a problem and it just kind of kept coming back and so um yeah that was sort of like the the gist of it I feel like I saw you like at new blue we had that like time that we sat near each yes, other and you yes. were like telling me the story like in between pieces of yes. dance <laughs> yeah. and like the look of determination on your face you're just like I'm currently not walking anywhere but I will be going to the <laughs> I will be I dancing will be going and I was like wow yeah life choices <laughs> yeah. yeah so determined 
determined, yeah. even though everyone's like, stay off your feet. Yeah. Not walking, we'll be dancing. We'll be dancing. <laughs> Very different things. Chasseing down the streets. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I feel like I should have just done that. Like, I should have just, you know, like, done long runs at work <laughs> instead of normal long walking. Long yeah. Yeah, no, and then it's just, like, it's better now. Finally, like, it took a year, and I finally, like, December, I was like, I don't feel pain anymore. Hmm. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> like, dancing. As messed up as that story is, I just sat here listening to it, being like, I didn't know that was possible. Like, the human body is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, shit. That's like a thing that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know either. I'm super specific and yeah. small, but. But, also, like, how honestly, many people go. Does that happen to? Do that just have wide feet that just don't know what the. But it's not a wide thing. It was not a wide foot thing. That guy was wrong. That guy was wrong. That guy was not a specialist. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like. Was his office on the street? (laughs) Well, no. I mean, like, 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 general practitioners. It's funny that he just, like, attributed it to women's fashion, which is like. Yeah, he was a bit of a dinosaur. I also went (laughs) to a dinosaur of a pedologist through that whole process who told me to take up synchronized swimming because it was like dancing, but not on my feet. (laughs) That's pretty. I was like, that was, that was, he's like, just trained your career to become a synchronized swimmer. It's like, easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally logical. That's totally what I want to do. And also told me to lose 10 pounds. <gasps> Ugh. Yeah. I was, yeah, that was the point of the conversation where I shut down and I was like, I'm leaving this office. Yeah. You're like, so we're done. Your opinions yeah, are no, done. your opinions are no longer valid yeah. and I don't take you seriously as a professional anymore. Cause then you then quoted the BMI at me. At like how as a dancer at five foot two I should be like X and X type of weight. And I'm how like, does he not though that's so outdated? I mean he is a bit of a dinosaur. Like he's like he's very knowledgeable about like anatomy and structure and things. Like he was I was learning a lot until he started like getting personal with it <laughs> and then I learned nothing else. They're like, and yeah. we're done here. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> exactly. Ugh. Patricia. Um, well, I didn't even realize that our timing was so similar. Um, so for me, it'll be one year since I was diagnosed tomorrow. Like tomorrow is my one year anniversary. A lot of people have been like, don't celebrate that anniversary. I kind of want to say congratulations, but that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what do you do? Do you buy a cake? Do you get balloons? Maybe. Like congrats for like all you've done in the year. Yes. Yeah. Um, I feel like more on that later, Um, (laughs) more on that comment later. Um, so like this time last year I was, um, coming out of, I was like dead sick for two months. There was like eight weeks in which I was just like laying on my couch. I was like super, super sick, like literally eye infections. I had double pink eye and then an ear infection and then a throat infection or like just a combination of all those things. And I like kept going back to my family doctor and they were like, this is so weird. Like, why are you so sick? And then it wasn't until I went to get off the couch one day and my right foot was like unresponsive. Like I just like went to get up and my right foot was just like dangling. Like I couldn't move it at all. And so being a dancer and like being in my body my whole life, I was like, I pinched a nerve in my back. Like right. I've gone and done it. Like I pinched a nerve. <laughs> I've I've done this to myself. Yeah. It's like all my fault. So then when I went back to my doctor at that point, it was like the look on her face changed and she was like, okay. And then she was like, she like was testing me for a bunch of things. She's like, do you have a fever? Do you have this? Do you have this? And I was like, no, no, no. 
And she was like, if any of these things happen, you have to go to an emergency room immediately. And I was like, okay. And she was like, and we're going to get you into an, into an MRI machine in a few days. And I was like, okay. Like all of a sudden the speed of everything, like my healthcare changed. Um, and then I like got into an MRI. I got into an MRI like three times over a month before I like finally got these results. And now I was seeing like this neurologist and then like, um, I had always, I've always been like sick on and off, like undiagnosed my whole life, like all throughout my teenage years, which like ends up being a super common story. Um, but I was just like constantly super ill. Um, so I was like used to going into conversations with doctors where they're like, well, you probably have cancer or you probably have this or you probably, and I would always go in and they'd be like, oh, it turns out you don't have that. So I was like super used to like high stakes situations where it ended up not being the thing they thought it was. Um, so then I like went in to this meeting and everyone was like, my girlfriend and my parents, they were like, do you want us to come to this meeting with you? And I was like, no, no, they're going to tell me it's nothing. Cause like my whole life I've seen doctors get super worried and then tell me it's nothing. So I went in and <laughs> this doctor who is a neurologist and probably the meanest man I've like ever met in my whole, like of all the people to like give me life altering news, it was this guy. And I had like seen him a few times and he was always like such a jerk to me. And then I like got into the office and he sat down in the chair across from me and he smiled. Uh oh. And the second he smiled, I was like, son of a bitch. smiling at me and so the reason why I had been rushed for all those tests so quickly is because I had been so sick with some kind of virus and then my limbs like it was my feet and a little bit of my hands just started losing feeling they thought I had viral meningitis so and if you Which have viral meningitis will kill you in 12 hours yes yeah so they were like if at, if ever you have a fever you have to go to a hospital and I was like on watch for that um but then he looked at me and he was like the good news is you don't have viral meningitis. I was like, great. He's like, what a way to start a conversation. Well, it's like, cause that's what they were testing for. So I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And then he was like, you have MS. And like in that moment, I was just like, huh. What is, how's that better? Or like, like not, not better. Um, I guess I'm not dying right now. Um, but it was just like, I was so, I had been like so desensitized to doctors saying that I have like big things probably mm -hmm. that I was like not expecting an actual response. And then he like kind of talked at me for 10 minutes in which I have like no idea what he said. Mm -hmm. And then I like left to go call everybody. And it wasn't until I was like calling my mom and like calling my girlfriend that I was like, oh, this is real. Oh yeah. This is like a real thing. Um, so it's been like a journey over the past year, like now it's a year, um, kind of like trying to figure that all out from like a psychological standpoint. I've been like, thankfully, in like a lot of therapy just to like have someone to sit there and like listen to me for an hour and be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, but then also like on a physical journey, like getting the feet moving again and like a lot of it is like a lot of fatigue that you have to work through. So kind of like, yeah, it's been like a journey and I only feel like, I feel like the timing of this podcast is super appropriate because I only feel like in the past few weeks, have I like actually 
gotten back. Like I was going to say gotten my like feet back under me, um, literally <laughs> and literally. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like you like you spoke about determination. I remember when you told us at the garage. So that, that was a half an hour after I had been diagnosed. Oh, that's bananas. Wow. Which is also like a testament to my like fight or flight mode. Like my fight or flight impulse is always fight. Oh yes. so yeah. So it's like, like yeah, me too. I had already called Martha um, in advance because I knew I was going to this appointment. If they were late, I had like called her and I had been like, can you just like start warm up? Cause I'm leading the garage. I might be a few minutes late. So like Martha was already taking care of that. And then I was just like, I knew I could have called her and just been like, do you want to grab the rest of the session? Yeah. Um, but I was like, if I don't get back on this course right now, then like, I'm not going to get on it. Right. Yeah. So like, I don't even know, were you guys there that day? Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I must've looked freaking crazy. Cause I just like walked in like stone faced. And I was just like, we're going to explore this now. I remember me and Martha had a rehearsal right after that. And we walked into rehearsal like, <laughs> what just happened? And just in shock for the rest of the rehearsal that you had like gone through that entire. I'm so sorry. Se- no, no, don't apologize. It was like astounding and like, we were so, I mean, yeah, you were just, it was magnificent. And I remember yeah. you just saying too, after that, like you just had, you were so determined to not let it like get to you. And you were just like, I'm going to be like a champion for MS and I'm going to go to every MS rally. And I'm going to like have a choreographer's assistant and I'm going to sit in a chair if I need to. And you were just like, you were totally like ready for whatever that journey was going to be. Like you, yeah, you were still in that like fight or flight mode, but you were fighting damn hard. And I was like, yeah, you're, you'll be okay, girl. So your initial reaction was just to like push through to fight. What was like your initial reaction, Nicole, when either you got the wrong diagnosis or the real diagnosis? Like, how did you adjust to that? Well, both. Um, When I got the wrong well when I went to the dinosaur who gave me um <laughs> who, like, is he extinct yet is it like, he's so happy <laughs> I'm just gonna keep referring to him as that um I actually got like I didn't I got measured for orthotics that day and got not the orthotics but like different shoes that had like a hard sole so that my foot couldn't actually bend so that it could actually like heal itself when I could still walk on it and I actually went to the garage right after same thing it was a Wednesday um and I remember I was walking down Dundas Street West and I was like I'm just gonna walk because I just need to do that and not take the streetcar and I was like I don't know if I can go to the garage like I'm like I was very upset because like this is my foot and I don't and I didn't know anything about like what he'd been saying and he kind of threw out a bunch of other things like it might be arthritis it might be this da 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 and I was like okay so like am I going to be able to dance anymore and I just didn't have a lot of answers and I had these like new shoes and that was kind of the only answer I had (laughs) and so yeah I remember I was I went to the garage and I was it was the same thing initially it was like I need to get back I need just need to dance right now to convince myself that like this isn't a no-go thing um, I don't remember who was leading that day, but, um, and it was actually, I remember you were there, Rainy, and I remember telling you the story and you were so pissed off at this guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was 
fuck him. I was just like, oh shit. I was like, I was just like, yes, okay, like we can do this. Yeah. And then I think when I got like an actual specialist to look at it, I was a little bit more prepared. And so I, uh, and so then I was a little bit more rational in and, and a little bit less like just push through and a lot more because that's always my thing with injuries is just push through and that's not like good a lot of the time. I think that's because we're like told as dancers, especially when we're young. Oh, yeah. you're fine. Yeah. It's okay. Oh, Keep yeah. dancing. Like go to competition yeah. with a fever of 104. Yeah. yeah. The perseverance behind dancers and artists just to get their job done, and because that's how they make their money is mm-hmm. st- is beautiful. I yeah. Think. Yeah. But this I think is- it was also just then for me the balance of like that I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to do anything except for the garage. I'm not going to class. Um, and I'm then, and then it was when I was like, I metamorphosis Vienna and then like <laughs> to be determined. Yeah. <laughs> I also think there's something super specific about when a dancer gets taken out at their feet. Like, mm-hmm. like there's something like, so like symbolic or like iconic about dancers and their feet. Um, yeah. that like every doctor and I've seen like so many doctors since then, when they know that I have MS, like their reaction is always like, and as a dancer, why did it have to be your feet? Because MS can like manifest itself in like so many different ways. Like it can cause blindness or like speech things. They're like, ah, oh, your feet of all things. And I'm like, really? It just sucks no matter what it is. Yeah. Turn in a knife too. Yeah. yeah. Whether or not, but yeah. Yeah. So that's um, how we move. Before you had the diagnosis, you talked briefly about it, both of you, but at any point, in your younger years as a dancer or in your university years, did you suspect something was off? Yeah. I, I mean, I've been living the game of like, um, like, cause with MS, there's so many like, um, lead, lead up to it that they'll like never know for sure. But like, the MRI that I had last year, they're like, Oh, like they've been like trying to prod me to be like five, six years ago. Did you have another flare up? Like, did you have a flare up that you like didn't know about? And I'm like, no, like, I mean, like, if I don't know about it, I don't know about it. But they like, there's like old damage in my brain or signs of it. And then now I get to sit here being like, maybe that's why my like rises have never been that good. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe that's why I've never been able to jump super well. Like maybe five years ago, that was the end of like my jumping dance career. <laughs> Um, but they'll never know for sure. Or I'm like, yeah, that like one workshop that I did, I was like super tired, like more tired than maybe that was MS. So it's like this like big psychological game that I'm playing with myself. Yeah. And I think I, yeah, it's funny because like hindsight is always, you know, it's always 2020, but I think that like growing up, um, the later part of my dance years, the new studio that we had, we didn't have sprung floor. Um, so it was hardwood over top of cement. Ooh. And then when I went to university, although I wasn't in a dance program, I was taking dance classes. And because the University of Alberta doesn't have a dance program, um, we were dancing on a gym floor. Hardwood. Hardwood. Yeah. And I mean, the, the teachers were always really good and being like, we're going to do like one across the floor jump thing. And like, that's it. You know, like they were aware, but I think I did a lot of also I have really short Achilles tendons, but like a pretty solid vertical, which is like weird and doesn't seem possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so like my whole life as a kid, like a knee problems because mm. I had come down so hard right. and it was all right into my knees. So I thought if anything, I'd have knee problems. 
Um, and then it was like, ah, probably like 18 or 19. And well, I guess around the time I started working with Kathleen Hughes, um, I noticed that there would be times like that I just needed to warm up my feet. And like when you're 17 years old, it's like you barely warm up as it is, like let alone your feet, yeah. you know, and it's just not something you think about. And then, um, I was really like, I came just more often in class and stuff. I'd be like jumping across the floor and you just, you know, when you like land out of a jump and you just get that like whinge mm-hmm. and it's just like, and you're like, okay. That was weird. <laughs> wrong. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, but it doesn't feel, it's just like an electric shock. And that just started to happen. And I was like, okay, like my feet, I just need to pay attention to them. And that was just sort of like a warning sign that I think, yeah, like, I don't know, like this isn't like a contagious thing or a long-term thing. It's just a wear and tear. Um, and I think, yeah, my feet are probably just like susceptible. So do you think it'll happen to the other foot? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I hope not. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's, I think it's because it's my left foot and like, I'm right hand dominant. So like, I turn a lot more on my left foot and Mm -hmm. because in the dance world, a lot of things are taught to the right first, Mm -hmm, like, especially growing up, like it's, I think my left leg is just the leg, like I'm stronger on. And so even when I notice when I'm improving, it's always like left leg centered. So I think it just gets more, more abuse mm-hmm. than the right one does. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I also think like for me, all this started happening after I turned 30. So there was like part of it that I was like, man, they tell you when you turn 30, it's like, <laughs> and I like sitting in the st- like in a studio one day and like looking over at Kylie and being like, God, 30 sucks. <laughs> She kind of just like looked at me being like, mm, good for you. Um, or like, she like couldn't relate. And then, yeah. And then when it turned out I had an MS, I was like, it might be that I'm 30, but also I have MS. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Um, so you mentioned you're in therapy. Mm-hmm. Is this something you've been doing for a while or because of the MS and being uh, like an out? Yeah. I mean, there have been times in my life, like in my younger life when I was in therapy, I've always been like super anxious. Um, so like, especially in the time when I was like auditioning for schools, like post-secondary, um, I was just like a super anxious kid. So they like brought me in, taught me meditation. Like it was like a different kind of therapy. Um, but no, I like specific, I had to like want to say fight for it with my neurologist. Um, but I had to like convince him to sign me up for therapy, which was like so weird, especially considering like the MS department at St. Mike's is like a service they offer. And I was like, this is the mean guy. Yeah. So I ended up getting a new neurologist. (laughs) Um, he's like half as mean, but like, he's still, (laughs) he's still a hard. What is it about neurology that jades people? That was like the first thing I actually asked my therapist. I was like, why is every neurologist so serious? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had to like ask for it. Um, and I'm actually in something very specific called like identity therapy. Okay. So like after I, like, I was like picking at my neurologist to like get it. He was like, well, do you want me to recommend you to this guy who works with athletes after major like neurological 
diagnosis. And I was like, oh, so the exact thing I have? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd love that. <laughs> so he didn't think that because you were a dancer, you were an athlete? An athlete. No, he didn't think, um, because I think I like sit there and I'm smiling and I'm nodding and I'm not like in distress in front of him. Right. I had uh... to like articulate, like I was like, hey, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Can I see someone? Right. But it took me like, he sat there being like, why? And I was like, because this like, changes everything about yeah. the way that I live my life. Yeah. yeah. Um, so distress comes and shows up on people's faces in all different ways. Or Just because it. I'm not yeah. bawling or crying or on the floor doesn't mean I don't need someone to talk to and just express how I'm feeling. And I just have a like theory that everyone should be in therapy. Oh, like yes. there's yes. so many people that have yes. never gone to therapy. And it's crazy to me because it feels so good. <laughs> it's like going for a massage, except it's for your brain space. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Everyone yeah. should do it. Just to have someone to talk to. I hate yeah. that. Yeah, talking about or like that correlation between physical and mental health and how they should be treated as equally as valid and you should have the same amount of resources. Yeah. I think is something that needs to be pushed for a little bit more. Right. Yeah, like you shouldn't yeah. have to advocate so hard to like take care of your mental health. Especially like, like especially that like and, and like from a who neurologist. Is, yeah. Like, who is and who is he to say that like what you need and don't need in this space that he has no access to? Yeah. You know, like he doesn't know how you feel or how you react to things. So like, I just feel like there's so much, um, I guess so, so little consideration given to the person who's speaking about their own feelings sometimes mm -hmm. in terms of like advocacy of like, why, why do I have to try so hard to convince you that I'm not okay? Mm -hmm. I'm not okay. That's not even like a proper way to phrase that. Cause what is okay? But like you know, to, that I am not the way that I would consider myself to be a healthy mental state. Mm -hmm. Yes. I also you just know. think like, if someone asks for it, they need it. Yeah. 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 Right. Like, like, what are they getting out of it that they don't need it? Yeah. <laughs> why would, why would someone go in and be like, can I sign up for therapy just for kicks? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, one time when I was in Calgary, went, I had just received some news that was basically about dance related work stuff. And it was, I couldn't handle it like emotionally. Mm -hmm. And I woke up and I was in such a miserable state and I was having a panic attack that I drove myself to the hospital and I walked up <laughs> and they were like, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm having very terrible thoughts right now. And I need to talk to someone. And it took them like 25 minutes to be like, well, we don't know how to like admit you to the hospital because you're not like an emergency person, obviously, yeah. but also it's like very, it's, they don't know that. They yeah. Don't know that. You could, yeah. you know, taken a bunch of pills. You could have been like right. ready to throw yourself off the fucking peace bridge, like right. whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. Your backstory. And they just like sent me in eventually to this woman that I think was just like a counselor. She wasn't even a therapist. She didn't introduce herself as one. It was just like, talk to me about why you're upset and basically, like, she was like, oh, you're a dancer. And then it was, like, every stereotypical thing that you would have heard from a movie oh. was brought up. Like, I didn't even bring up, like, Eating your body. Disorders. And they yeah. brought that up. And I was Always like, the first this thing. isn't why I'm upset. This yeah. isn't why I feel this way. It's because this and this happened. Yeah. And this person's just a dick and led me to believe something else. 
Yeah. yeah. So well, that's such a common thread too. Like even yeah. when you go into like a physical doctor, like when I went, I went into the walk-in clinic twice before I was sent to a specialist. And the first time, that's what I was told to. It was like, oh, you're a dancer. Like obviously you have a foot injury because you're a dancer and that's just part of your life and you need to accept that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. No. Um, that makes zero sense. <laughs> like, Part of yeah. me think that there's things, because we're all women sitting in this room, that there's a thread to like also just physicians not believing women in women's pain. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But that's right. also something that I found throughout my treatment. Um, I don't know where I read this. I think it was when I went to first went to like buy an anatomy textbook because I wanted to just learn about it. Um, and it was one of the reasons that like online, they're like, why do you want an anatomy textbook? And it's like, I was like searching like Indigo, like where to find one. Yeah. And like, it was, like the like related searches. <laughs> so like, but it was people looking it up so they could talk to their doctor properly. And mm. that's something that I found is once I, because the second time I went to the walk-in clinic, I went in and I had like all the right vocabulary down mm-hmm. and the difference in treatment that you get when they think like uh like just going off of what you said about like sort of brushing it off is when you go in with like this vocabulary they sort of are like oh we can't quite pull the wool over her eyes you know like truth be told i just knew the words i knew nothing about them mm -hmm. but like they're like oh we have to actually talk to this person like they know what they're talking about and we can't just sort of like throw them out the door that makes me so worried for like uneducated people trying to like, or like pe- people that aren't from Canada trying to like seek help. Yeah. yeah. Like stresses me out so much right now. Right. Yeah. It really, <sighs> it shows how, what good doctors are and what bad doctors are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like if good doctors are willing to talk to every single person, the exact same. Yeah. And a bad doctor that's, you know, a dinosaur that's rolling their eyes and immediately blaming, telling you to change a career. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but like the flip side of that is like, someone that knows their body, I feel like I was able to help my own care, like regardless of the doctor's reaction to it, Mm -hmm. I would do like a releve and they'd like check a box being like, that's within the normal range for someone. Mm -hmm. And then in the back of my head, I was like, that ain't nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That ain't nothing I could do a few months ago, but like being able to know those things for myself, I was like able to like judge my own standards right not yeah. just like based on the quote-unquote like normal public mm-hmm. um but i have a question for you guys going to physiotherapy mm-hmm. and they ask you to raise one side of your leg or one arm and they ask you to raise the other one one arm, one way do you feel do you ever get scared that as a dancer you can do them both extremely high and extremely strong and you'll just if somebody tells you to do something you'll do it that they're not gonna be able to tell a difference because you're going to make the body part go to where you want it to I feel like I always communicate yeah. that in advance. Yeah. Like I, I'm like, I feel like I'm, cause I've also been seeing practitioners for so long. Yeah. Um, and I worked as a receptionist at a chiro clinic for a while. Um, I always like start with that or if they're like, good, I'm always like, I can do better. Yeah. Or like, I should be yeah. able to do better. Yeah. It's about communicating that yeah. or like, that's an interesting part of an athletes or yeah. dancers mm-hmm. psyche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think that was, I was really lucky with the clinic that I went to. Uh, they're called the Sports Medicine Specialists mm-hmm. up at Young and Egg. And they actually list dance as one of the, like, athletic fields that they treat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so, and so, like, yeah, I think it's just always important to go in there and say, like, 
established, I am an artist, I'm a dancer, I use this. And then I found that we had a really open conversation, my physiotherapist and I, like he would be like, okay, can you like push this, like push your toe down? And he's like, is that your normal range? Is that like, there was a conversation. It wasn't just like him deciding. Mm -hmm. It was like him being aware Mm-hmm. of the potential difference that I would have from the norm. So yeah. I was lucky in that respect. And then also like the flip side of that, like I have super tight hamstrings. So anytime you like lift my legs straight up, oh, yeah. practitioners are often like, oh, as a dancer, you should be able to do more. And I'm like, <gasps> no, no, as a human, this is really good for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it's just about having an open dialogue. Yeah. yeah. And then you don't get stereotyped. Um, Hopefully. Yeah. It's, it's harder to. When... Totally. I also find it's like, um, super, I think it's like a perception thing or like a cultural thing. But like a few years ago I was competing in weightlifting Mm -hmm. and I, people were so negative towards it. Like they were like, you're going to hurt yourself. Like, I can't believe you're doing that. So at one point in my like short weightlifting career, I like tore a rotator cuff and everyone was like, see, Uh look at how injured you are. I was like, where were you? As a dancer, when I herniated a disc in my back, when I broke right. two bones in my feet, mm-hmm. the attitude surrounding that is like, oh, sweetheart, that's just like part of the game. Interesting. Yeah. Like if you're dancing, that's just part of it. Yes. Because like that's, I think the perception yeah. is that dancers are going to injure themselves and that's fine. But I think that's also makes it hard to come back from injury. Mm-hmm. Is that the perception whole, around it? The perception around it that it's normal. That you be injured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you're just like, okay, um, I know, sure. But, like, there's still a struggle, both, like, mental and physical, to, like, go back into class. Right. And to say, you know, yes, I've been injured, and yes, we've all been injured, but, like, I'm dealing with this differently, or this injury affected me differently than, like, any other injury I've ever had. And, like, like I was terrified to go back to class. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I still am. Terrified because you didn't think you were going to be able to, like you were going to injure yourself again or terrified because you didn't think that you were going to be able to move the way that you used to be able to move. No, option B. Option B. Yeah. Like I just felt like I was going to go in and be a complete novice. And the first class I did, I went back in November when I wasn't quite fully healed, but like I was just like just testing the waters. Um... And yeah, it I, it took a class, and it was the worst class I've ever taken in my life. And I didn't go back for like months. Mm. No, yeah. So how did that decision to go back? How did that happen? Did you just decide that you felt better and it was time? Did you feel pressure? Um, yeah. Did you feel pressure to start again? Um, I think it was more so, it, like uh, pressure, but not necessarily like outside pressure, just like I, this is my career and I need to train if I want this to continue to be mm-hmm. my career. Mm-hmm. And I've been sitting on my ass for like three months now. And this is just, it's just time not to like go back. But I think that's what I say, like just test the waters and like my foot was feeling okay. And so I wasn't sure exactly what that meant for a dance class. And I was like, you know, if I don't want to jump, I won't jump. You know, yeah. like I will modify releves. I'll only do it on one side. Like I was going in like prepared to just sort of, it was a trial run because I had, I wasn't seeing physio anymore at that point. It was sort of just like, it just has to kind of heal now. Um, and so I just didn't really have any direction. So I think that was part of it. I was like, well, it's been about time. It feels okay. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't expecting to be like 
emotionally not okay with that. (laughs) It's like eating a giant piece of humble pie. Like you just like walk in and you're like, whoo. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do what I can. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't do anything to the left. Yeah. I literally started to go to the left and just like walked off the floor. (laughs) Do you guys uh, feel that the trajectory of your career has now changed? Dead silence. (laughs) (laughs) Like has your injury forced you to go into different types of adapt? Have you had... Yeah. yeah. Like you said, you talked about if I had me to sit in a chair and have an assistant choreograph, then I'll do it. Yeah. I'm pretty stubborn that way. Um, also like when I started at York, which was like four months after I was like diagnosed, I like didn't tell anyone for four months and we had to do like choreography class. And it's just like that. It was almost like an artistic challenge that I took for myself. So I was like keeping everything low. Like I purposely wasn't dancing in other people's stuff. So I was like doing everything I could. So then by the time people found out that I had MS, they were like, what? Like, and then I'm like, yeah, but you'll notice that like never once did I jump or do a rise or like, I just like figured it out. Um, And even like, after I was diagnosed, a lot of the reactions from doctors being like, oh my God, I can't believe you're a dancer. Like, what are you going to do? Is like, there was like always a part of me that was just like, I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like, it's going to be different than I ever thought it was going to be. But like, it's just going to be like problem solving. It's just going to be like a challenge to make it work Mm -hmm. anyway. Um, So that's just the super stubborn side of me. But like, also mentally healthy. You're like, it's going to be different, but I can still be a dancer and yeah. still be an artist. A lot of artists but, wouldn't have taken that route. Yeah, it's pretty healthy. Yeah, but I mean, there are things that I haven't think come to terms with and it just like kind of, I think, happens in layers as these types of things do, but it's possible I won't dance for someone else. Or like, it's maybe I'll... Um, I don't know. It's like an idea I'm toying with is like, maybe I'm done performing Mm. because of like, my body is not reliable at this point. Like I couldn't walk out on a stage and do the same performance every night. Mm -hmm. Um, so unless I'm in a work that can kind of like, um, give room to that, I don't know if I'll do it, um, in a way that I'm not going to stop creating. Um, but maybe it's just, maybe I'm done performing. Right. Um, maybe not, but I had like a moment where I was like, I was working on a piece with someone and she just like super casually was like, well, maybe this isn't a solo. Maybe this is a duet. Maybe you're up there with me. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and I just like smiled and nodded in the moment. But I was like, that's the next thing I need to face. I think like, is it, do I, well, it's funny too, because almost right after I was diagnosed, I had a piece in new blue. Mm -hmm that I had to, one of my dancers wasn't available. So I had to like, I got up there like two months after diagnosis and performed the piece heavily altering the choreography, which I could do because I was the choreographer. It was a solo created for Jamie Fallon. Um, who's just like got all these rises. Like she's got like all the things I can't do. Um, (laughs) but as the choreographer, I was able to be like, and I'm going to do it this way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was a solo. It was a solo, so I wasn't. There wasn't a partner up there, like depending on me to be able to pull things off. Mm-hmm. And it was heavily text based. Yeah, I don't know, but that's like my next challenge. Yeah, and also like part of my reason for going to York was to give myself 
thinking space, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. two years to just kind of figure these things out. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. 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 I think for me, it's been a little bit more of a back and forth career-wise. Um, like when I first decided to leave university, I said, I'm going to give myself until I'm 25 to not worry about the future and to just do things, and just do whatever. And then like 25, we reevaluate. That doesn't mean we leave dance. It doesn't mean we change anything, but we just reevaluate where we are in life. Right. And I just turned 24. <laughs> so this is like the last year and I lost and then I, I lost a year yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much a full year and that it pisses me off a lot because I'm just like where like all the things that I'm doing now if I'd done them a year ago like I'd have so much more room to grow and expand in this last year because sometimes this year kind of feels like it's the last year of my life um, and like not like <laughs> not, not to be like, dramatic, not about it. dramatic, but like not in like a dark way because you gave yourself a deadline, right? And so now like the deadline is approaching, and it's just like this like weird foggy haze yeah. that the year twenty six is going to be, um, you know. But just no, like all things, you know, dark side. It's just no. It's just this feeling of wrestling with those feelings of where I thought I was going to be right. right now and where I am and then just turning that into like this drive to do things mm-hmm. like now I'm just like okay I've got a year I'm gonna cram two years worth of work into one year amazing mm-hmm. and that's gonna happen so like that's why like I'm choreographing I'm like submitting to things I'm going to workshops like I just I just want to dance and just do that that's awesome. And so, yeah, it's, it's a back and forth, I think. In many ways, it hasn't changed my trajectory, but it's made me more aware of what that trajectory is. Right. Cool. Sure. Yeah. Well, we have to ask the question. Mm-hmm. Guys, is being an artist fucking killing you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think what speaks to that is when, I, when you announce this like new adventure and like the podcast title, that's exactly my reaction. I was sitting at home and I like read it on Instagram and I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was my guttural reaction. <laughs> that makes me so happy. <laughs> um, but also in a way that it's like, I mean, when you speak to kind of like having that deadline and like having those doubts and like that being what drives you, especially like I'm 31. Um, it's like, you're, I feel like I'm constantly evaluating that. Mm-hmm. It's like you're constantly, and I thought it would go away at a certain point, but it's like I'm constantly sitting there being like, do I give it one more year? Do I give it, like, how much more time do I give this? Like, or a lot of the stuff you guys were talking about in terms of, like, measuring success in your past episodes, it's like, okay, what do I need right now that I can define a success? Like, what's the next thing I'm going to drive towards to feel like I'm still moving upwards, like that I'm still growing, that I'm not stagnant. Um, and that is sometimes a huge major thing and sometimes a super small thing, but like, what is like the next thing? And especially being diagnosed with MS, there's like, I sat in like a very long period of like, do I just go get a regular person job that has a pension? And like, do I need more financial security benefits? Right. And like my girlfriend, we're getting married later this year, but she's also a theater, like she's a stage manager. So her and I are both like living a non-normy life. 
not uh, normie norm. 100% not, not a normie norm. Not <laughs> norm. Um, but I think like as long as I continue like loving to make art, like it feels like it's going to change the world. Yeah. Like if I didn't feel like art could change the fucking world, then I wouldn't do it. Or And that, that's when I quit. And if that time ever comes, I promise you I'll quit. Yeah. Is it yeah. on you, Nicole? It, it is. <laughs> but I think in, like, this sense of, like, just soft deadlines and, like, also coming from a place, like, growing up, like, this whole idea of having dance as a career wasn't something I really prepared myself for. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm sort of, like, preparing it on – preparing myself as I'm doing it. And I'm learning a lot of things because I never went through a dance program, uh, like conservatory or otherwise, or like university. There's just a lot of things that I feel like I'm just learning as they happen, which is great. And like, that's awesome. I mean, Um, I feel that way. And I did go to a program. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. So you're Um, feeling it. (laughs) But like, it's, yeah, it's this weird thing of measuring this person that you thought you were going to be and the person that you are. And, like, how are they the same person? And, yeah, just this this weird thing about deadlines. Like, I have this very, like, mathematical brain, even though I suck at math. That, like, I really <laughs> like things to sort of be laid out nicely. Mm-hmm. And that's not the lifestyle that we lead. Mm-hmm. And that's not what this career is. And so that's something that I really struggle with is, like, loving what I do. And again, yeah, like really believing that it makes a difference. Like Winston Churchill said, like during World War II, when people were asking him, like, should we cut funding to the arts? And he's like, well, what are we fighting for? Mm-hmm. Not a direct quote, but he said something like that. <laughs> that was beautiful, and, by yeah, the way. Well <laughs> something along the lines. Yeah. And like, that's something that speaks to me too. And so this is valid and it's important, but there is this thing of like, my friends are getting married and having kids and like, that's amazing, but like not where I'm at. And it's just, and then all my friends here are like moving forward. Everyone's moving forward in different ways. And it's like a struggle to look at yourself and realize how you're moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's hard from the inside. Yeah. yeah. Or like how to define what forward is. Yeah. 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 And what success means to you. Yeah. On a daily basis. Yeah. And then somebody's just like, read your resume and you're like, Oh, it's okay. <laughs> okay. I got it. It's the opposite reaction. I read my resume and I'm like, wow. <laughs> How can I fudge this just a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that you guys want to plug? Yeah. About what you're doing. Your um, social media. Your shows. Yeah. Like nothing. Nothing's been determined yet. But I am self-producing a show Woo! for. Yay. Yeah. Um. Really exciting. Looking at options for that, and it'll be the second or third weekend in September. Uh, Rainy's dancing in it. Um. Yeah. So keep keep stay tuned for for that. More info to come. Where would they find that info, Nicole? Um. Uh. When it comes out, I will be posting on my Instagram, which will be in Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, dot A, dot F is in Fred, A-U-L-L. Yeah, so just stay tuned. Keep looking out for info on that. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, um, well, follow me on Instagram, at L-N-F-N Productions, last name, first name, Productions. Um, cause I'm starting this little like video series over my summer semester 
which is basically going to be like interviewing different Toronto based choreographers to kind of um, get like the pulse of who's out there and who's doing what. Um, so Corinne will be a guest on that. Yay. And yeah, there's no name for it yet. So if anyone has name suggestions, <laughs> throw those at me on my Instagram. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I'm just keeping my head down and working towards my thesis, which I'll be presenting next spring. Amazing. Yay. Yeah. Thanks for awesome coming, guys. Thanks for Thank having you. Yes. So lovely. I love having a room of dancers. I do. Yeah. It's very easy when it's people. Yeah. Dancers. Um, please subscribe. Please rate our podcast. Yes. Leave a review. Yes. Oh my gosh. Please leave a review and rate us because it makes it easier to get noticed by other people looking and searching for podcasts. Yes. Um, This has been Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. We'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah. Thanks. Bye.